Well, it is Super Tuesday here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. As we get closer and closer to the election, this Super Tuesday is going to be a little different in the way we handle things on the air here today because we're going to feature an interview with Alex and Stephen Kendrick about their new movie. Now, are the Kendrick brothers getting into politics? Not necessarily, but their latest film is one that actually does dip its toe in the water, so to speak, with regard to the political realm. Looking at Roe versus Wade and adoption versus abortion and, well, you get the idea. That's coming up later this hour, and we will have a couple of uh, passes to give away for the screening that starts on September 9th and goes through September 15th for the new movie Life Mark. More on that in just a moment. Also, a Christian school educator is under fire right now for taking an unpopular stance in his community with regard to the LGBTQ movement, but is it possible that he might have gotten this one wrong? We're going to give you a chance to weigh in on that one, too. Don't you love all the, they call them teases in the industry, and hopefully you enjoyed those last two. First, though, Super Tuesday, a very interesting story that I found. This is just a kind of a mini ABC analysis, balance, and clarity with regard to how the push for election integrity is being spun against the conservative side and in favor of progressives. In other words, everything that progressives say about the elections is right and true and fair and square, and everything that conservatives say is wrong, at least according to the mainstream media. Now, I expect it from CNN, MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. It's frustrating when it comes from public broadcasting, because in theory, public broadcasting is up for and by the people, right? It's government funded with, you know, Corporation for Public Broadcasting and Tax and National Endowment for the Arts and all these big contributions from these big time oil companies, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, NPR has been politicized. PBS has been politicized, just like every other part of the government. And I, I want to just share this article with you, just chuckling. It's from NPR.org written by someone called Hansi Lowang. And it's about election integrity and the election integrity movement. Actually, there's a group that calls themselves the Honest Elections Project. They have uh, filed for tax-exempt status. Actually, they have it. They're getting millions of dollars in donations, which isn't necessarily a bad thing one way or the other. It depends on what flavor you prefer. But I read this article and I wanted to share it with you only because it, it's it's so patently biased in favor of leftism, or perhaps I should say against conservatism, that you would think there was something wrong with people who want honest elections. Who doesn't want honest elections? People on the left, people on the right. Everybody wants the election to be honest. One of the big issues in 2016 was there was a huge hue and cry from the left over the fact that there was a concern that Donald Trump had somehow colluded with the Russian government and sought to make it impossible for Hillary Clinton to win the election because certainly she should have won and he should have lost. Until we discovered that the theory, if you will, for the Russian collusion nonsense actually started in Hillary Clinton's campaign and was proven to be a bald-faced lie. So we can rest easy in this country now knowing that Donald Trump did not steal the election by conspiring with the Russian government and selling out American secrets, et cetera, et cetera. What about 2020? Well, now that's been a little tougher nut on crack, if you will, because we're crack, because the fact is at election time and on election day, there were, what, 40, 50, 80 different challenges to election laws that had been passed rather mysteriously uh, in the last year leading up to the election, turns out 
our friends at Newsweek did us the favor of showing us the four-year plan that was a rollout to basically make sure Donald Trump would not win a second term in office. Uh, COVID provided the right cover with the mail-in ballots, et cetera, et cetera. And then there were state Supreme Courts that went ahead and started legislating from the bench. And the Honest Election Project is basically trying to make sure that the elections and election laws are actually determined by state legislators. Remember, legal stuff comes from the legislature. And the judging of those laws comes from the judicial branch. And yet the left is terribly afraid because they've enjoyed having a, a basically a leftist majority for the past several years. And now there is a conservative majority. Some say it's six to three. I say it's five to four. John Roberts is more of a moderate and leans more liberal these days. Fair enough. But there's a uh, case coming up in the Supreme Court with uh, North Carolina involving redistricting. And if, in fact, the judges rule in favor of those who brought the suit, um, the Supreme Court would be endorsing what's referred to as independent state legislature theory anyway. This is according to the NPR report. Can you imagine the audacity if states followed their own constitutions and state lawmakers actually had to write their own laws as to how states handle their own elections? Oh, the humanity! tongue planted firmly in cheek. Yeah. Leftists want House Resolution 1 for this Congress to actually be the law, where the federal government tells the states how their state elections are going to run. The question on the Trump side of pushing these back on these election laws, the reason that all of these bills were actually shot down had nothing to do with the legality of the law. It had everything to do with the standing of the people filing the suits. Trump's team, Rudy Giuliani, Jen Ellis in front of the camera, blah, 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 did not have legal standing to file the lawsuits. So, of course, the cases didn't go to the Supreme Court. Of course, they didn't get any further than state Supreme Courts. And, of course, they lost. And the reason was they did not have the standing to actually file those cases. The, those legal challenges should have come from in North Carolina, they should have come from the North Carolina state legislature who said, wait a minute, we passed a law, but then the court changed it here and they shouldn't have done that. There were laws being passed at the last minute in the name of, quote unquote, COVID protection. Was it Rhode Island, Delaware that violated their state's constitutions? The constitutional right that we, the people, have to actually vote on our own stuff. In the president's home state of Delaware the legislature passed a mail-in voting law that was not scheduled to take effect until after 2020, but basically it violates the state constitution. What should have happened is not them passing a law, but rather that a constitutional amendment go on the ballot and the citizens of Delaware vote on it. And they just may do it here in 2022 and it just may pass, but that's the proper procedure. Remember when California Governor Gavin Mussolini signed 47 different executive orders during the pandemic because safety and this, that, and the other thing. And all 47 of them were shot down, but not by not one, but two appellate court justices. He had the Ninth Circuit Court picking his pocket only because he overstepped his boundaries. Now, most of what the governor wanted passed in California actually did in fact pass, but it passed through the proper process of the legislature saying, we will mail absentee ballots to everybody in the 2020 general election. Not the governor saying, I declare in May that six months from now, we're still not going to be able to go out and vote in person. I'll be at the French Laundry without a mask if you need me. Modern, modern, modern. Well, the title of this article is, This Conservative Group Helped Push a Disputed Election Theory. 
that actually turned out to be true, but there's nothing in the article, unless you read between the lines and click on the hot links, that tells you the truth about what's going on. It's just another PR puff piece from the left to tell you that anytime a Republican or a conservative or a Christian, God forbid, challenges the status quo, well, then there's something evil afoot and something wicked this way comes and we've got to be careful. We've got to protect democracy. Oh, please. Anyway, you can read the article. It's up the bottom line show.com. Now, I mentioned at the start of the program that it's Super Tuesday, which is why we're bringing Alex and Stephen Kendrick on the program. You know, the courageous guys, the fireproof guys, the war room guys. Yeah, they make great faith-based films with stories of faith and redemption honoring God and proclaiming the gospel. So why are we talking about them on Super Tuesday? Well, you know what is energizing the Democratic fundraising campaign right now, and that is the fact that the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey about two months ago. And that apparently set women back to the pre-suffrage days, you know, horse and buggy, they have no rights, et cetera, et cetera, which we know isn't true. But one of the big knocks on the overturning of Roe versus Wade from the left was, well, you know what's going to happen? We're going to have back alley abortions and all these unwanted children are going to be homeless because no one's going to be there to take care of them. George Barna's research indicates that the vast majority of women who got abortions did so not knowing that they had a third option. Option number one, of course, you're pregnant, you're going to become a mom. Option number two, you're pregnant, you have an abortion, there goes the kid. But option number three is you're pregnant, you give birth to the child and then release the child for adoption. And that is the whole uh, thesis, if you will, the centerpiece, the genesis of a brand new movie called Life Mark. It's coming out on September 9th in theaters. It's kind of an unusual Fathom Events release in that instead of where Fathom typically does one or two days, like a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and then those faith-based movies do really, really well. Fathom's doing a week-long release starting on Friday, September the 9th, and continuing through Thursday, September the 15th. We've got a link for the trailer for this movie at thebottomlineshow.com. It's based on a documentary that was made by the actual kid involved in the process. Basically, it's a story of mom and boyfriend get pregnant, they're teenagers, they're scared, they don't know quite what to do. So mom and dad decide they're going to place the child for adoption in an adoptive family. And then circle back around 18 years later, birth mom reaches out to her son and says, I'd like to meet you in person. Oh, it is such a wonderful film. I, I can't recommend it enough. And I've welcomed, I'm privileged to welcome Alex and Stephen Kendrick to join us here on the Bottom Line Show on the other side of this break to talk about Life Mark, to talk about the pro-life movie, movement and also to talk about the political overtones that this movie inadvertently has they're not political by nature but they realize in an election year this is an important story to be told alex and stephen kendrick joining me next as the bottom line continues by investing in the wilson financial services 4d or four-dimensional account your investment is guaranteed against loss it provides long-term care benefits permanent income benefits and inflation benefits all at the same time you know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years. 
and that's the one dimension it has. I said 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Well, special guest joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show to talk about a very special project, and I, I do mean special. When you look at the movie Life, Mark, you're going to say, wow, it's got the Kendrick brothers all over it. And of course, Alex Kendrick is on the screen. But then when you find out the backstory of it, it really is an achievement, a testament to the faith and family and also to the adoptive process as well. Uh, Alex Kendrick, Stephen Kendrick are with us today here on the program. And if you're watching at My Hope Now, of course, you can see the brothers looking very handsome. Stephen's looking taller than Alex right now. <laughs> that, that, is that a little competitive? Is that a little competitive? That's, that's movie guys? magic. That's exactly right. <laughs> taller than I am. Guys, welcome, welcome back to the bottom line show. So how did how Thank did you. you how did you hear about the story of life, Mark? Kind of t- take us soup to nuts on this thing. Well, we we were finishing Overcomer in early 2019, and Kirk Cameron called us. He's been a friend for years. Yeah. He said, guys, I just saw this powerful short documentary that has me in tears. It was just so uh, meaningful to me. And I think it speaks boldly about the value of life and the ministry of adoption. Stephen and I watched it and, uh, and we were captured by it as well. It just gripped us. Stephen has adopted his daughter, Mia. Kirk himself had, had adopted four of his six kids. Kirk's wife, Chelsea, is adopted. So it was just uh, rang true. And so we started praying about, should we do a feature film? and all had a piece about it. So Kirk joined us as executive producers, and we made this movie Life Mark, true story of an 18-year-old girl who is laying on the abortion table, hears the words, get up, there's still time. She believes that was from the Lord. She gets off the abortion table at the last second before the procedure was started. She places her baby for adoption. When that baby is adopted and grows up to be 18 in a loving Christian home, He then meets his biological mother just to say thank you, wraps her up in a big hug, and she melts. And she always wondered if he would hate her. And and so that interaction in real life was filmed by a family friend. And we got to see that raw footage. And, And of course, it was put in this short documentary called I Lived on Parker Avenue. And so when we saw that and we met the real people, met the talked to the real families, they said they'd be honored for this story to be told because the biological mother. And David, the, the, the biological son, who's now adopted, um, they both speak. They travel around the country and speak. And so we said, yeah, this is a beautiful story. So we made Life Mark and just finished it. And now it comes out September 9th. And we can't wait to see what the Lord does with the story. Well, I'm talking with uh, Stephen and Alex Kendrick. I almost called you David for a second there, Alex. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the new movie is called Life Mark, as I mentioned. We have a trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. Stephen, what's it like when you take a hold of you know, these other projects that you and your brother, I should say brothers, have worked on? Because now Shannon's right. getting some getting into the act as well. Um, when you take a project, you know, oftentimes it's a story that might have been an original concept of yours, uh, maybe a book that you've read somewhere. This one kind of came out of left field. And with Kirk kind of, you know, not I was... Uh, breathing down your neck, but maybe elbowing you in the side saying, I'm passionate about this. I want in. Where do you begin as a producer saying, okay, we know how we would treat this story, but we also have to be true to the story too. talk about that. Sure. 
Well, uh, it's interesting. All of our movies begin with a season of prayer. And uh, traditionally, the Lord has given us basically truths from scripture, original ideas, and then true stories that we will write into our films. And we'll be able to be extremely creative in how we unfold the story. With LifeMark, when God started pointing us to this, we were by faith moving forward, not understanding why, but we had this piece about moving forward with this story. We shot it last year. We had no idea Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned. Right. We had no idea that the church right now needs to rise up to a greater degree of courage and speak to their state senators now to speak in their local communities and to rise up with compassion and courage to show uh, love to these girls that are going to be having unwanted pregnancies, but Planned Parenthood won't be their savior anymore, you know? Right. And now also speaking with compassion to these babies in the womb, and then also couples that want to have children but can't and want to adopt, being able to, to start adoption ministries in their communities. God's timing is always perfect. And now we see in retrospect that he was leading that whole process. But because it's a true story, there's advantages and disadvantages. Uh, we interviewed all the real people. We tried to quote them a ton in the actual script that you see in the movie. So many of the lines in the movie come directly out of their mouths, either in the documentary or in the interviews that we did with them. Also, having the real people show up on set was really cool. Yes. They're watching themselves and they're like, that's exactly what happened, you know? <laughs> <laughs> to have the real Melissa there in the scene with the abortion clinic, and she's watching Marissa Hampton act out that scene, and she's got the earphones on, and she's choking back tears because she's now reliving that moment, mm -hmm. you know, that took place 25 years ago, and now she's hugging Marissa Hampton for capturing the emotions so well, mm -hmm. and then now for us to be able to show them the, the finished film, David Scotton just called me a few days ago uh, or texted us. And he said, this movie is so powerful, the way it's unfolded. He said, I'm so excited about being able to share this story with other people. So uh, we tried to honor the real story and how we did it. So it's not as much of a three-act structure uh, as a traditional Hollywood movie, but it works. And when people are watching it, the flashbacks that go back 20 years with de-aged Kirk Cameron and Rebecca Rogers yeah. show mm -hmm. them what they look like 20 years ago, which is really some cool special effects that went on behind the scenes, Neat. but we're also excited because people that try to argue with what you're communicating, it's a true story. Yeah. And yeah. so when we lay out a true story and we just say, look, people try to say that you, you don't want to have this baby, you know, that's unwanted because it's going to grow up in poverty or die or kill itself. You know, no, watch this movie and watch a true story and watch someone who's so grateful that his mom chose life. He's so grateful for his adopted parents. He's so grateful for that he can be a blessing to this world and the beauty of how God can bring healing and restoration. We love that it shines in life, Mark. Stephen Kendrick, Alex Kendrick, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. They are Stephen's executive producer. Alex is an exec producer and also has a starring role in the movie Life Mark. The trailer is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's in theater September 9th, and I highly recommend two thumbs way up. 
uh, Alex, you talked about, or Steve was just talking about how important it was to tell the whole story and, and understanding there are going to be some people who are watching this who might feel a little, you know, displaced because they think they've lost something in the culture with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But one statistic that I've heard often is the number of adoptive parents who want to, you know, have a, a child placed in their home and how it far outpaces the number of kids who actually get placed. And then George Barna and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about the fact that there are so many women who don't even know that's a, an option. Can you talk about the scene? The, the one scene that got me is when Melissa and her boyfriend are sitting in the room and they're reading all the letters from the parents. I'm mm. going to cry just thinking about it. All these people who are just saying, if you're willing, we're willing. We want to welcome this child. Uh, talk about getting that scene so right. I mean, you guys nailed it. Uh, but why that was so important to include in this story. Well, it is part of the true story. Uh, Melissa, when she was a teenage girl in uh, rough upbringing, and so she's living with her boyfriend in a small uh, apartment that they can barely afford on their part-time jobs after high school. Um, and so when they determined they're going to allow this baby to be adopted, they went to a, an agency, it's the only one they knew about, and they were provided uh, numerous letters from couples that were hoping to adopt that would just share about themselves. So they're reading dozens and dozens of letters. They got to one about a couple that had lost two children already due to a, a, a genetic disease um, at birth, and they were hoping to adopt. And they talked about they loved outdoors, camping, fishing, things like that. Well, Melissa loved those things as well. So she said, I just have one question for this mom. And she called the adoption agency. They allowed her to connect to this couple who was seeking to adopt. When they answered the phone, Melissa said, can I just ask you one question? How do you bait your hook when you go fishing? <laughs> the the soon-to-be adoptive mother thought that was a curious question. And she explained how she baited her hook, which was exactly like Melissa did it. And it's a very unique way. It's not what you think. When you see the movie, you'll understand. And, and so Melissa said, that's perfect. That's the way I do it. I want you to be the mother. And now that sounds very interesting that that was the only question she asked. But we also see God's providence in that because uh, David was adopted by that couple who loved him, raised him, took care of him. And he's doing so well in life as a young lawyer. He's in his 20s now. And so um, what a beautiful story. But that process of reading through all the letters, Melissa was overwhelmed with how many couples are trying to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so here we are, a nation that has had over 60 million abortions. Mm. And we think of all these couples who would love and treasure the opportunity to adopt and take care of a child. Mm. That is a ministry option that I hope we have more of in the future. Oh, you know, Roe versus Wade has been overturned. And, uh, and we are encouraging churches, political leaders, support this. Let these children live and let them be adopted into loving homes. And yes, not every story is the exact same, but there is hope. There is redemption. There is life. Life is precious and beautiful. We can't just throw it away. Alex Kendrick, along with his brother, Stephen Kendrick, the two of the co-executive producers of the brand new movie, Life Mark, powerful pro-life film that's coming out September 9th. We've got a link for the trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. Stephen and Alex Kendrick are my guests today. Here on the program, we're talking about the LifeMark movie. LifeMarkMovie.com is the website. The powerful story of a young boy who was released for adoption by his birth parents who were teenagers at the time of his birth. 
and he is released into a, a loving adoptive home. We got a couple. Uh, Kirk Cameron plays the dad, and they um, they lost a couple of kids through a rare genetic disorder, and so they do the adoption was their best bet for being parents, and they raised this boy David uh, to uh, just be a fine young man, one of those great great guys that you right now he's an attorney, very successful attorney, and uh, and really living for the kingdom. But uh, David made this documentary about his existence and um it was and actually had footage of meeting his birth parents for the first time mom is so very open and receptive dad was a little more reserved because they had a bad experience in his family his mother was adopted and it didn't go well with her adopted parents so there's a, a lot of healthy skepticism emotion and it's going to be in theaters on september 9th through the 15th as a kind of a six-day week-long fathom events event seven days actually we have a couple of opportunities for you to see this current uh, compliments of our friends at fandango uh 800-227-5278 we've got three different screening uh, well opportunities for you to get tickets for opening night on september 9th 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line for this digital ticket to go see life mark the movie when it opens on September the 9th. We're going to take a quick break. And as we continue more of my conversation with Stephen and Alex Kendrick, we're going to talk all things life, Mark. We're going to talk about the sanctity of human life and also talk about why adoption is an option that so many people don't know about. And yet we in the body of Christ have a golden opportunity to be that, uh, that, that conduit to help more children live in a country where abortion is now illegal on a federal level. More of my conversation with the Kendrick brothers in just a moment as the bottom line continues. I'm talking with Alex Kendrick today here on the bottom line plays Sean in the new movie life. Mark is also one of the executive producers along with his brothers and Shannon, who's not with us today, but Steven is, is Shannon camera shy. Steven, is that why we're not talking to all three of you? He's definitely an introvert and he does not (laughs) like to be on camera. Shannon is behind the scenes, uh, solving problems, managing money, helping with computer issues, setting up health insurance, that those kind of things. And, uh, but he is really good at what he does. We couldn't do what we do without him. And uh, it's it's amazing how the Lord put us together in the same praying home with godly parents. Yes. And we love we love each other, love working together, and our kids love each other. So it's, I think pretty, it's pretty beautiful. It's phenomenal. You're an adoptive parent. I mean, you mentioned that Kirk Cameron and his wife have four adopted children. Um, the big families involved in this process, your director, the father of eight. I mean, it's really, I, I'm feeling kind of, you know, uh, out of the sorts here with only three kids of my own, but then I've got three others from, you know, my blended family situation. So at least I can sit at the table with you with six kids, uh, but talk about this after you watch that, you know, because when you're working on it, you've got all those things to think about the direction, the lighting, everything like that, the distribution, sure. all that stuff. Now you had a chance to sit back and watch it. Steven as an adoptive parent. How did it hit you? Well, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is the scene Alex described just a minute ago when she makes the phone call, because it's going back and forth between these two emotionally charged couples that have things they desperately want at the same time. And they're trying to make these crisis decisions. And Kirk's line at that moment of we got to, we can trust God one step at a time, even if she changes her mind about this adoption, 
We have to make the decision. We're going to trust God by faith and take one step at a time. That's the story of my adoption with Mia, that basically it was a God-led decision in prayer. My wife and I didn't understand after having four biological children, we know why God was leading us to adopt, but he turned our hearts towards that. And we moved forward by faith and discovered that, again, you let Jesus drive and amazing things happen, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's going to take you to places you never expected and do things in you and through you that you never expected. And so through that adoption process, we saw Mia go from being an unwanted burden in a communist country to being a beloved blessing in a Christian home in America. Recently, she's come to Christ, been baptized, and she's actually been on a mission trip now and shared the gospel with other people. She is sunshine in our family. God has given us this incredible love for her. And he's also taught us a lot about our spiritual adoption through the process that uh, every person who gives their life to Christ, God yes. adopts them into their into his family. And, uh, and through that journey, believers can actually present the gospel using adoption stories. So I would tell people, don't limit God. Uh, don't always pick your comfort over in this short life that we have over the potential of trusting God for something great. But we hope adoption ministries will be able to take this film and use it in a big way. We hope that uh, women's pregnancy centers will be able to mm-hmm. use LifeMark to give to girls when they're on the fence about what are they going to do for the future. And so we think the Lord could mightily use the church right now to rise up with clarity and compassion and conviction and to be able to overcome evil with good that is going on in our culture. The movie Life Mark is a very, very redemptive story. I love the fact that, you know, of course, Melissa and you know, David, they have that chance to have that reconnection point. Uh, Alex, what was it like to address that part of the story? It's a big part of the story, obviously. Birth mom waits till son's 18, wants to reach out, wants to reconnect. You know, you're playing uh, Melissa's husband, the grown-up Melissa at that point. And that had to be a very tender moment. You know, when you when we see the the, the trip, the journey, you know, getting out to the home and actually meeting for the first time, uh, it sounded... I saw that as an endorsement for saying when the time is right, it's a good idea to have the birth parent, you know, come together with the uh, child who was released for adoption. Talk about that process and and how you approached it in the film. That's one of the most powerful pieces in the short documentary we watched when it was filmed when they initially met. And uh, and we did the feature film exactly like it really happened in real yeah. life when they when they get to her house she's pacing inside back and forth it's been uh, almost 19 years since she has held this baby that she placed for adoption and now she gets to give him another hug and he's a young man and to see how he it turned out and um and she was nervous about how he would feel about it but she was uh surprised at his loving manner, his gratefulness at her decision. And again, it just melted her heart, brought a sense of healing as well. Mm -hmm. So we watched the real footage, talked to the real people who were a part of that. Matter of fact, the day we filmed that scene, they were on set with us. So the Mm. real Melissa is sitting there watching this scene. The real Scott and family, his adoptive parents, were sitting there watching this scene being filmed. Mm -hmm. And we filmed it four or five times when uh, the movie Melissa comes out, stands on the porch, wants to be gracious and proper, but just emotionally falls apart, rushes up and hugs him, and he embraces her and it just melts. And it's just a, a beautiful scene. And uh, and so we've honored what really happened. And, um, you know, when when you have those opportunities for 
um, redemption, for forgiveness. You know, she asks him point blank, are you mad at me? And he says, mm -hmm. I have never been mad at you. Right. I wondered if you ever thought about me, but I've never been mad at you. You gave me life. You gave me the family, the opportunity to be adopted by the family I have. And I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. And so they, they were able to talk. They've been on numerous interviews together. Now they live, you know, Melissa lives in Indiana. David lives in New Orleans. So they're they're not close, uh, you know, geographically, but they have been together a number of times. And uh, now, I mean, the, even the novel that's coming out, we conferred with the real Melissa, look through this novel, tell us if everything's good with you. And um, so it, it was just a beautiful process to, to work with the real people who are loving and gracious people, uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and want to honor him. So again, uh, doing this movie was an honor for us. And the fact that it's a true story and we think is going to make a significant impact on the lives of those who see it. I'm talking with Alex and Stephen Kendrick today here on The Bottom Line, co-executive producers of the brand new movie called Life Mark. Highly recommend it. We have a link for the uh, trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's in theater September 9th. Guys, we've been talking a lot about uh, David and his mother in this uh, scenario here. Uh, he also does have a reconciliation of sorts with his dad as well. And it's a little mm -hmm. more subdued. It's a little more tender. And I know as a dad, uh, my kids are all you know biological children, but nonetheless, I, I couldn't help but wonder what was going through his mind. Can you give us a little insight as to what you're hoping Life Mark does for the dad in the equation who they were teenagers, they didn't know what to do, but they decided to place the kid up for adoption. Maybe dad might've even thought of the other option and kind of had to be mm -hmm. talked into it. Talk about what you hope dads will take away from this movie. Well, it's interesting. This movie appeals both to men and to women. And uh, if you follow the story of Brian in the movie, uh, Lowry Brown is one of the strongest actors in the entire film who plays Brian, the biological father. And you see him going through this whole journey of initially he's freaking out as a teenager that his girlfriend's pregnant, doesn't know what to do. They can barely feed themselves, much less take care of a child. Right. And his own mom had gone through an adoption and, uh, uh, and it was a negative experience for her. So he was afraid that he, this child would, would hate him if you put him up for adoption. So there was the contemplation of abortion early on as a teenager. You know, teenagers are young, they're self-centered, they're fearful. He didn't have the support of, of a church community around him. But then later on, when they make the decision to have the baby, Brian's a part of choosing that adopted parent. He's in that conversation. And you fast forward to as an adult, you see him now meeting this young man, David, and he's blown away, you know, because there's kindness there. There's a mutual respect that they have there. And David thanks him again for being a part of that decision uh, for him to be born, you know. And but we love how the uh, the uh, the biological dad, when he sees how well David has turned out, there's a moment where mm. Lowry Brown, who plays the biological dad, shakes hands with Kirk Cameron's character, which is the adopted dad. Mm -hmm. And he says, I want to thank you for raising him so much better than I ever could. Mm. And it's just such a touching moment because yeah. there's that, again, it's different when dudes are talking to dudes right. as opposed to right. women talking with women, you know, yeah. uh, because they're, they're not crying and slobbering all over one another. They're maintaining right. their man card at the same time. But you also see the meaningfulness of that mutual respect yeah. that takes place. And really Jimmy Scotton, the adopted dad in real life, 
uh, I my hat goes out to him because he stepped into that situation and was just this even keeled, steady, responsible, loving husband and father. And uh, David is so grateful for his adopted dad being that for him and being what he needed growing up. Boy, well, life mark is going to touch a lot of hearts. It's going to bring a lot of healing uh, to many families who might have been through a, a difficult adoption or just the whole process of a, facing a crisis pregnancy, as we call it right now, and yet showing the hope and the redemption. It's a very, very redemptive and uh, loving story as well. Uh, Alex Kendrick is uh, one of the stars of the movie and an executive producer, along with his brother Stephen Kendrick co-executive producer as well. Uh, Kirk Cameron's all over this movie too and plays a, I was so thrilled to watch the, you know, here's who they are in real life real. Cause first I thought, come on, Kirk, wake up, man. You're so mellow. You're just kind of, you know, you're, you're Kirk Cameron. <laughs> right. and, but then I realized he was Jimmy and I just, oh yes. my gosh, he just completely nailed that part. Um, can't give him enough phrase uh, for that as well. Uh, guys, what's your hope? we got 60 seconds left. What's your hope that someone who goes to the theater on September 9th or that opening weekend, which is so huge, and watches the movie, their hearts are touched, and then they're going to ask the question, now what do I do? What, what's the now what for them? So uh, first, that they would see life as a gift from God that should be treasured and protected. Secondly, that they would see adoption as a beautiful ministry option, should they be in a scenario to consider that. It is a great ministry. But you can go to lifemarkmovie.com, lifemarkmovie.com. We have all the connections with the movies, but also uh, ministry channels for someone who wants to learn more about adoption or more about healing or more about, you know, redemption or, or what do I do now? Counseling. You can go to our site and see a number of ministries there to reach out to that are ready to help you. So we don't just want to minister to you through the movie, but also through the resources. So lifemarkmovie.com, get your tickets there. If you'd like to go see the film comes out September 9th. And again, we hope you are blessed. All right. Well, it's been a blessing to have you guys here with us on the program. Alex Kendrick, Stephen Kendrick, co-executive producers of the brand new movie, Lifemark. Lifemarkmovie.com is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, guys, always great to get some time with you. Thanks for being with us today here on the program. Thank you. God Thank bless. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. There you go. Alex Kendrick, Stephen Kendrick, the brand new movie, Lifemark, in theaters on Friday night, September 9th. It's kind of a hybrid uh, Fathom Events event and regular ticketed event our friends at fandango have actually given us three digital codes if you will that we're giving away and each code is good for two tickets so we have three pair of tickets to this movie and i encourage you go see it whether you win the tickets or not uh, 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line for a pair of tickets, we've got three of them to give away, three pair of, uh, I just said, pair of tickets, we've got three of them. And you probably thought, wait, isn't a pair two? Okay. A pair of tickets, and we have three pair to give away to see Life Mark starring Kirk Cameron, Alex Kendrick, powerful pro-life movie, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Here at K-Bright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home. It was like two days before Christmas. And I was sitting at the bottom of a hill and somebody just came smashing into me. Like they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. 
she was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready, like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. My thanks again to Stephen and Alec Kendrick for dropping by for a half hour or so, having a great conversation about their brand new movie called Life Mark, lifemarkmovie.com. Life Mark based on a, a documentary. A uh, powerful documentary is made by David Scrotton uh, about his experience where he uh, was released for adoption. Uh, there came a moment in time where he was kind of curious about his birth parents. But then um, it, it, when his mother uh, actually reached out to him and said, I'd like to meet with you as adoptive parents, talk to him about it. They prayed about it. They thought it was a good idea. He made this documentary called I Lived on Park Avenue. And I won't tell you why it's called I Lived on Park Avenue, except for the fact that when his mother, 18 years of age, living with her boyfriend, they were in love, but they were scared. They were they were trying to make it, things work, and it, they, it just didn't work out for them. They uh, considered what their options were, and they did what a lot of couples do. They thought, okay, well, there's two choices here with a pregnancy that was not planned. The first choice is to be parents. Second choice is to get an abortion, or for some people, it's the other way around. By the way, I'm 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 hoping, and I don't know how long it's going to take to do this. Can we see about maybe dropping the term unplanned pregnancy? And here's the reason why: science. I mean, seriously. If our sex education in public schools, especially, goes into such vivid detail to try to teach kids how to use whips and chains and belts and role-playing and all sorts of stuff that has nothing to do with parenting or biological reproduction. And yet, kids are not being told the truth, which means the big lie in public education is, hey, you know what? Uh, sex is all about having sex, and you shouldn't have sex to procreate, or if you do, you shouldn't be for... Well, we had a president of the United States who said, I would not want one of my daughters to be punished with a pregnancy. And that president was a very big supporter of Planned Parenthood. And I'll just mention numbers because as we talked about before, for the, our listeners who called and said, hey, can you mention the president's by name? President 46 is in the White House right now. He replaced President 45, who replaced President 44. And it was President 44 who said, God bless Planned Parenthood, spoke at a Planned Parenthood fundraiser, never went to a March for Life, and said, I don't want my daughters punished with a pregnancy. But you see, here's the beautiful thing about God and his creation. He created sexual intimacy to be exclusive between a husband and a wife for the purpose of emotional bonding, spiritual bonding, physical pleasure and release. And oh, by the way, that's also how we reproduce. But in the culture that we live in right now, the idea that a child that is not wanted only has one option, and that's to be killed because the parents don't want the child. There are dozens of parents who have gone through the process to be screened, to be adoptive parents, who are desperate to adopt children. 
the last statistic I've heard, I've shared it with you often, for every couple that gets to adopt a child, there are 37 other couples who are screened, background checked, and ready to roll who would love to adopt a child. That becomes a government issue, and that's part of the reason why I had the conversation with the Kendricks today here on Super Tuesday. The Democrat Party wants to make abortion a campaign issue. By golly, overturned Roe versus Wade. Now we're losing our rights, and we've got to get back to the White House and blah, blah, blah. No one is paying attention to the child. As a matter of fact, I think it was the New York Times earlier today was was mocking people who, are you kidding? They, they, they think that a fetus is actually a person and should have rights? And I thought to myself, well, let's ask the question of a super leftist progressive Maybe a husband and wife get pregnant. They decide they're having a child. And then they go, well, I mean, the child, that decision's already been made. And then what do they do? They have a baby shower. Oh, yeah, a baby shower. Why? For a clump of cells? For a fetus that isn't, doesn't really have human rights? Why would you celebrate that child? Why would you go to the get the ultrasound done? Of what? Look at our little clump of cells. He looks just like his mother. I mean... I, the inconsistencies are far too great. But the Lifebark movie is more important now than ever before because of the statistics that our friends like George Barna and others have said about the number of women who go to abortion clinics or go to the OBGYN and do not know that they have three options. They only think they have two. Because the world has become so, you know, fight or flight. It's either yes or no, up or down, black or white, day or night. It's, oh, you're pregnant? Well, it's either abort the child or get become a mother. And the third option is adoption. Place that child in a loving home and let that child thrive. Now, do every adoptive situation work out? Of course not. I mean, do every marriage work out in this country? I mean, there's sin in the world, and they're not always going to be positive experiences all the way through. But that's even addressed in life, Mark. The fact that David's biological birth father grew up in a home where his mom had been adopted, she had a lousy adoption experience, and he grew up thinking that adoption was not a good option. But the documentary is called I Lived on Park Avenue because Park Avenue is where there used to be an abortion clinic in town. I won't say anything else. This is a great movie, and our friends at Fandango have given us three uh, pairs of tickets to give away for the opening weekend, September 9th through the 11th. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and as we continue, a school administrator at a private Christian school in Florida, just outside of Tampa, is being hailed as a hero by saying that the school will not be referring to children by pronouns that they choose, but rather the way that they Basically, the critics would say we're assigned at birth by God. They're going to look at the issue of transgenderism and the non-binary thing, et cetera, et cetera, and say, hey, look, this is not up for debate. It's Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. God's the creator of life. And so any child who shows up at school and says, I'm non-binary, we're going to say, no, you're a boy or you're a girl. Any kid who wants to cross-dress or do whatever, we're not going to do it. And so far, so good. But there's one part in this policy that could be problematic for the school, and that as, as it pertains to students who identify as gay or lesbian. We're going to dig deeper into this in just a moment and see, did this school administrator actually go a bit too far? 
We'll take a look at that next as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, and hold on to it and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. A few more minutes for you to get your call in at 800-227-5278. We've got three pair of tickets for the Lifemark movie, uh, the latest project from Stephen and Alec Kendrick uh, that is going to be releasing in theaters on September the 9th, um, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. And as I mentioned, we've got uh, phone lines are full, but keep calling in. We've got a few more minutes left that we'll be taking calls for that giveaway. Um, I mentioned before the break that there's a public school, excuse me, a Christian school administrator in the state of Florida who is uh, drawing attention for a popular stance that he took, at least among parents, uh, but rather unpopular among leftists. And that's with an email. I'd like to read it to you. This is from June the 6th, Grace Christian School in Valrico, which is about 20 miles east of Tampa, Florida. Uh, the email went out to all parents that day with the subject line, important school policy point of emphasis please read. Here's the email. We believe that God created mankind in his image, male, man, and female, woman, sexually different, but with equal dignity. Therefore, one's biological sex must be affirmed, and no attempt should be made to physically change, alter, or disagree with one's biological gender, including, but not limited to, elective sex reassignment, uh, transvestite, transgender, or non-binary gender fluid acts of conduct, and uh, that's the email. Barry McKean is the name of the school administrator, by the way. The school's policy noted that students in school will be referred to by the gender on their birth certificate and be referenced in name in the same fashion. So this is very, very interesting to see that the school took this action. Evidently, it's been a topic of conversation among students, among parents, among families. And then the missive went on, if you will. Uh, the school does not permit unmarried heterosexual students to be overtly sexual as well. Uh, in an interview with Fox News, Mr. McKean said, God condemns any sexual activity outside of marriage. True statement. I tell people if a kid came in the doors exclaiming how, how he was having sex with his girlfriend, that student would be expelled. Full stop. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting for me. Because having worked in youth ministry for a number of years and having been a former youth myself, <laughs> as we all have been, I'm not suggesting that you go easy on kids like this, but I'm wondering how effective the policy will be for the straight kids who are just a little frisky and you know, how are they going to find out? Now, he said, if I 
Mr. McKean says, if a kid came through the door and said, yeah, I'm bragging about this and bragging about that, uh, that student would be expelled. And I'm thinking, well, now, wait a minute. I mean, what kind of conversations are you going to have? Kids talk a lot when they're young. I'm not condoning sexual misconduct and sexual behavior by minors in a situation like that. But at the same time, though, I'm asking the question. I completely agree with the school saying, I think most of us do too, saying, look, if your birth certificate says boy, male, and you are a boy and your name is Jeff or whatever like that, and you come to school one day and say, I want to be called Tiffany and refer to me as a girl, school says, we're not going to do that. And I, I support that. I support it for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I think it's biblical, and I think you can do it in a loving and compassionate way, even if a child is experiencing gender confusion. I get that. Studies have been conducted over the past 20 years about the number of kids who go through some kind of gender confusion when they're in high school, when they're in middle school. And the culture has gotten even weirder about that, even today, to the point where there are a lot of kids who are feeling this way, not because they actually feel this way, but because their friends are talking about it. They're seeing it on television. One of their favorite TV stars or musicians came out that way. But I understand how important it is to reinforce things that we never thought we'd have to tell kids. Boys are boys, girls are girls. There's a difference. God's okay with the difference. We should be too. This school has had a policy of being biblically affirming when it comes to sex and sexuality uh, for 49 years. But now... They're extending this to not only the gender identity and non-binary, this, that, and the other thing, but they're extending it to the fact that they say that any child who identifies as homosexual will be automatically expelled. And that's where perhaps the problem is arising. We're going to talk more about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I can guarantee you this is the only Christian radio program in America that features Dance on a Volcano by Genesis as part of their bumper music. And I'm not complaining about that. Thank you, Joel. We have a story before us today, brothers and sisters, that I think warrants our conversation. This is a, uh, I mean, it's an election year. Obviously, the LGBTQ crowd is up in arms over a variety of different issues, uh, wanting protections, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, we talked with the Kendrick brothers just a moment ago about uh, the Lifemark movie and adoption and how few people, I was shocked when I saw George Barna's statistics. Uh, we'll have uh, John Knox from the Opt uh, Institute on with us later this week to discuss them about why adoption needs to be at the forefront. It's kind of slid in the background in America. It used to be very common. Now it's not nearly as common as it was. It seems like even in the church, we talk about the two options are choose life or choose abortion, and that's it. The third option, of course, is adoption. And the movie Life Mark, which comes out on September 9th, will address that with a powerful illustration of a story that was so moving. The young man in question, David Scotton, is now actually an attorney. Uh, but when he was given up for adoption, I like to say released for adoption. I got that from my friend uh, Sarah Dorman, a writer and, uh, who talked a lot about adoption. And she said, no, you're not giving away a child. You're releasing that child to another family so that they can thrive and they can flourish. But when you release a child for adoption, in David Scrotton's case, his birth mother looked for him while he was had just turned 18 and he wound up reconnecting. And it's a beautiful story. Uh, I lived on uh, uh, Park Avenue is the name of the... Uh, uh, the documentary that uh, tells David's story in fuller detail. And it was he and a buddy of his made some uh, uh, just kind of a documentary type of film about this. 
And uh, the Kendrick brothers saw it. They loved it. They turned it into uh, a movie. And um, the movie Life Mark will be in theaters um, coming up on September the 9th. But that's a campaign issue. And then the LGBTQ uh, crowd and the fact that there are more and more schools. I lived on Park Avenue. So the movie. Um, more and more schools that are, are starting to push back against the uh, onslaught of uh, students who are identifying as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning. Uh, there's a couple more letters that are added on. And it seems like it's interesting, the push for same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage, which was solidified, if you will, by the Supreme Court decision in Obergefell back in 2015, uh, made it safe for a lot of states to say, yeah, we'll go ahead, we'll recognize it. And there wasn't a huge onslaught. There was something like over 900,000 same-sex couples cohabiting in the United States, and of them, about 560,000 of them have marriage licenses. That number didn't go skyrocketing after the Obergefell decision. But what it did do in the culture was, you know, the next question was, well, what's next on the frontier? And sure enough, here comes the transgender activism and the activists who are seeking. There's that story of that little boy. And I don't remember where he lives, but uh, the parents claim he identified as a girl starting at the age of four. They begin to transition him. And now he is a runway model for Vogue at the age of 10. Lipstick, high heels, midriffs, the whole shot. Ten year old boy. I. I don't buy it. I really honestly don't. But as Christians, organizationally, how then should we respond? That's the question that a lot of people are asking, because oftentimes we would just say, well, the Bible says this, and that's the answer, and deal with it. And that's a great response until you actually are face-to-face -face with a student who says, I identify as transgender. With parents who say, my son identifies as homosexual but we want him to get a Christian education. The uh, Grace Christian School in Vilrico, Florida, which is about 20 miles east of Tampa, uh, is getting a lot of praise for a, uh, an email that was sent out by their lead administrator as basically telling parents, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read from this. Uh, Barry McKean is the administrator here. And basically he sent out an email on June the 6th that says, look, we've got an important point of emphasis here. Please read this, parents. We believe that God created mankind in his image, male, man, and female, woman, sexually different, but with equal dignity. Therefore, a, the person's biological sex must be affirmed, and no attempts should be made to physically change, alter, or disagree with one's biological gender. And then goes on, including but not limited to elective sex reassignment, transvestite, transgender, or non-binary gender fluid acts of conduct, and then the school said, hey, look, by the way, students in the school will be referred to by the gender on their birth certificate and will be referenced in name in the same fashion. A lot of teachers in public school are getting raked over the coals for this one. The girl on her birth certificate has the name of Brittany. She shows up and wants to be called Jeff, short haircut, dresses like a boy. And the teacher says, sorry, you're Brittany on my paperwork. And, well, I'm, I'm Jeff. And you know, that seems kind of like a slam dunk that people of faith should be able to say this is the deal. But there's a lot of popularity behind this. I mean, Generation Z, nearly one out of every five young adults right now in Generation Z, and it's similar numbers to the millennial generation, identify as transgender. Now, when you hear that, you might think, does that mean that 20% of 20-year-old women are actually dressing and acting like men and 
20% of the men are acting, actually dressing and acting like women. Well, the reality is, no, they aren't. They identify as. That's the key. Most of those Generation Z types are actually what we would call straight. Women who are born women living as women, men who are born men living as men. But they identify as transgender because they, quote unquote, want to be supportive of their friends who actually are going through this. So it's kind of like transgender in theory, as opposed to an actual fact. Now, uh, Mr. McKean noted that the school's policy, school's been around for about 50 years, uh, said the school policy is, look, if someone is engaging in, uh, well, call it deviant sexual behavior, but any sex outside of marriage in scripture is basically sinful. Well, not basically, it is sinful. So if kids are caught having sex, if a girl gets pregnant, this, that, and the other thing, then the school policy is they're expelled from school. We've had conversations here on the Bottom Line Show before about whether or not there was a girl who got pregnant at a Christian school. She wanted to walk in graduation. They wouldn't let her because she had seven months pregnant or whatever it was. And the question was, do you let her walk? Do you let her not walk? And we've had some great conversations about this. I get the sense that this is going to be one of those conversations once we go to the phones because the school policy also contains this language. We believe that any form of homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, transgender identity lifestyle, self-identification, they mentioned a couple other things, fornication, adultery, and pornography are sinful in the sight of God and the church. Agreed. Students who are found participating in these lifestyles will be asked to leave the school immediately. And that is where the challenges have begun for the school. Is Barry McKean saying that anybody who's at Grace Christian School and turns out to be gay will automatically be expelled? Is this just for students or is it for teachers? And then you have to ask the question, well, is this school an extension of the church or a part of the church? And my question to you today is, do you have that same policy at your church, your house of worship? If you show to church on Sunday or Wednesday night or whenever it is you go, and there's a gay couple sitting in the sanctuary, do you ask them to leave? And again, with no judgment here, and if you're watching on video, I got my hands up, uh, no judgment. I'm just curious. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show this half hour. For the rest of the uh, uh, broadcast here, we're going to be getting your reaction to the Christian school in Florida that says, and I believe rightly, name on your birth certificate, that's who we're calling you. If that's the gender on your birth certificate, that's the, how we're identifying you. You can't call yourself non-binary or transgender or this, that, and the other thing. If you want to live like that and act like that, please know that we are going to address you by the way God created you. That's consistent with a biblical nature. If you want to leave because of that, now he says they're going to expel him. But then the next question is, what about kids who say, I'm gay? Can to kick them out too? Might it be better? to actually let those kids stay in school and hear the gospel and question whether or not they're in lockstep agreement that this is going to be the case for the rest of their life, or maybe this is a transitional period where kicking them out of the church sends the wrong message. Kicking them out of the Christian school sends the wrong message. 
Let's get some conversation going on this. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Congratulations to the ladies who were the winners of the pairs of tickets to go see Life Mark, the Life Mark movie uh, starring Kirk Cameron and uh, Alex Kendrick. Uh, we, had, we had three pairs of passes we had, and they got snapped up pretty quickly. Uh, Sherry in Laverne, Mary Lou in Anaheim, and Ray in Stockton. Uh, ladies' Day here on the Bottom Line Show, and congratulations for winning those tickets. By the way, I should point out, we are hoping to have the Kendrick brothers back on with us again uh, sometime close to the release of the movie. And if that happens, uh, we're going to ask them to bring more tickets. Okay, so uh, uh, keep <laughs> keep listening for that opportunity uh, to call in and win. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the Bottom Line Show. And we're talking about the Florida Christian School Administrator uh, by the name of Barry McKean, who uh, is the administrator at Grace Christian School in Vilrico, just outside of Tampa, Florida who issued an email to parents basically saying, I'm summarizing here, um, that the school's policy has been for 49 years, will continue to be for until Jesus comes back. That if a child says, I'm, I, I'm identifying as non-binary, I'm identifying as, I'm a male, but I'm identifying as female or the other way around, they're saying, look, the school's policy is, first and foremost, on the birth certificate, if it says your name is Jeff Anderson, and you're a boy who was born on this day, blah, blah, blah. We are going to call you Jeff, and we're going to call you a boy. If your name is Stephanie Tyler, the same type of thing for girls. And if you want to say you're non-binary, well, that's very well and good, but we are going to refer to you in the way that God created you, full stop. And if you show up, you know, if Jeff shows up to school wearing Stephanie's clothing, we're sending Jeff home and we're expelling him because that's a violation of our policy. Now, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to the transgender type of stuff, it seems to be more cut and dry in terms of, you know, the radical steps that people are taking to basically degender their children. And I say that because there are a lot of parents who are actively involved in, quote unquote, helping their child transition. Some parents, it almost becomes an obsession. At the same time, there are some kids who are trying to work through these types of things and they're going to get counsel at, you know, from school and things like that. I can assure you, it seems like at Grace Christian School in Tampa or Tampa area that you're not going to have a situation like we had at that other Florida school where a girl thought she was transgender, went to the guidance counselor. The guidance counselor said, oh, let me show you how easy it is to transition from female to male. And the girl wound up attempting suicide twice on school grounds. Where it gets a little dicey, though, now is when they say, well, if a straight kid comes in and says, I'm having sex with my girlfriend, you're expelled. And I'm like, wait. I mean, not that you should condone sex outside of marriage. All sex outside of marriage is sin. But you've ever been around teenage boys? Do they still do this? Maybe they don't. I don't know. When I was coming up, boys talk about all sorts of things that never happened. I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to play in the NFL. Hey, I got busy with that girl over there last night. It's all talk. It's all male bravado. I'm not suggesting you would discuss it or dismiss it with a nod and a wink. But can we use a little discernment here? If you've ever done any youth ministry, you know that kids either talk way too much about things that never happened or they don't talk at all about things that did. And so 
the administration at Grace Christian School in Florida doubled down on this. Said, look, and by the way, our school policy is no transvestism. You're not going to cross dress here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They might want to change the language update a little bit. I don't think anyone uses transvestite anymore. It's kind of a cross dressing thing in the media. And it's very in, by the way. But then to say, look, if you show up and you're bragging about your sexual conquest, you're expelled. If you show up and you're a boy dressed like a girl, you're expelled. If you show up and you're gay and you tell everybody you're gay, you're expelled. And that's where I got to thinking. I started thinking about these two guys who came to my church about 12 years ago. One was very tall, one was very short. We had an early service, met at 7.30 on Sunday morning. And the early service was a traditional Lutheran service, full uh, vestments, the whole deal. And always had communion, sung liturgy, this is the feast, of the whole bit. And so as a result, it was also the least attended service because there are a few people in the old guard who still like going to the traditional service. Others would come at 7.30 because it gave them all day on Sunday to you know, hang out. And these two guys showed up one Sunday and then they showed up the next Sunday and they always sat next to each other. And when there's 25 or 30 people in a sanctuary that seats 250 and two guys are sitting next to each other, you know, rather closely, you kind of got the impression. Okay. And so one day, one of them reached out to our senior pastor and said, Hey, I'd like to have lunch. Can we get together? Sure. That's fine. And so actually both guys came and uh, they told their story. It seems that one of the men in this couple, they were in fact a couple, they were living in Laguna beach. And they had a history with the church. As a matter of fact, one of the guys said, look, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in the church. I love going to church. I believe God is love. And they gave you all the reasons why a lot of folks in the gay lifestyle will talk about saying, I can be living this way and still be a Christian. And my pastor did such a great job of just listening to him, not reacting one way or the other, uh, you know, just not trying to diffuse the situation, but really trying to hear where they were coming from. And finally, they said, well, he asked them, well, what, what do you hope to accomplish while you're here? How, do, how would you like to integrate yourself as part of our congregation? And the guy whose dad was a pastor said, well, you know, quite frankly, I've got a lot of friends who would love to find a place that they could worship here, and I'd like to lead a Bible study. And that's my pastor said, well, you know, I'm really glad that you find the warmth of Christ here and the, you know, the, the fellowship here to be something that you feel comfortable with, because I think that's great that our crowd is welcoming you here. At the same time, though, we hold to a biblical view of Scripture that says, you know, that this is what we believe is true when it comes to sex and sexuality. If you are more than welcome to worship here, any Sunday you want to, you're more than welcome, more than welcome to come to a Bible study. But when it comes to church leadership, it's not going to happen. And over the next couple of weeks, they found another place to worship, apparently, or they moved out of the area and that was it. But I always appreciated the way he handled that. Because I think sometimes with kids, especially, their emotions are going nuts. They're going crazy. And they're feeling a lot of things that they can't readily identify. And then one of their friends says, well, I'm transgender. And they all become transgender. Because all the cool kids are transitioning, I guess. So I have to wonder if this school and this administration might actually be going a little too far with their enforcing of a school policy that says sex outside of marriage, not permitted among the students, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, maybe that's a reaction to what is going on in their heart, but you're not want to condone that, but how quickly should you condemn? I'd be curious to get your take. Phone lines are open, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. More in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, talking about the Christian school in Florida that is uh, that has a policy, has had the policy for uh, for 49 years since the school has been in existence of uh, not allowing uh, homosexuality to be uh, anything of the sort on campus. Uh, students who identify as gay, um, no, you know, not, that, that that's just not going to happen. And uh, it's interesting because when I think about this. You know, I, 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 I'm conflicted only because of the fact that the story I shared with you before about uh, in the last segment with regard to um, what, you know, what the take is on the church and dealing with issues like this. By the way, I should point this out since we've been giving away lots of great stuff and congratulations to all of our winners on the uh, Bottom Line Show today with regard to the, uh, uh, the Lifemark movie event. Uh, if you are looking for an opportunity to win and win something really nice, especially with rising gas prices, I encourage you to go to kbrightradio.com and fill out a listener survey. It's a really easy survey to fill out. Just some basic, basic information about you and what you like to listen to and what you don't want to listen to. Um, and then we're giving away a $100 fuel card to the winner. So go to kbrightradio.com forward slash survey, and you can check that out, and you can be a winner that way too. So whether it's a Lifemark movie or a gas card, we've got it. Um, you know, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, the, uh, the the calling that we have as Christians is so interesting because here's a school administrator who not only he would go on Fox News and gave an interview as to why they're doing what they're doing. Basically, any student who identifies as homosexual or transgender or whatever will be expelled immediately. Any kid who's engaging in sexual activity will be expelled. And my first point to the second issue was, well, kids talk. So somebody overhears a kid talking at lunch or, you know, out in the playground or whatever, and they get expelled just because they were bragging. Uh, we used to have a name for that. We called it adolescence. But then when it comes to gender confusion, it's true. I mean, anywhere from 75 to 80 percent of students going through puberty will experience a certain level of gender confusion. Typically, like, a, for example, a girl who doesn't have any interest from guys and she's got a girlfriend who's one of her best friends. We had a situation, this is years ago, where the granddaughter of our senior pastor was at a church camp with another girl, and they just wondered what it'd be like to walk around holding hands for a couple of minutes, and they did it, and went, what? I mean, what the heck? And they said, well, we're not that way. They're both very happily married, by the way, and have wonderful kids. But uh, in that moment, they just thought, I wonder what it's like. If they had done that at Grace Christian School in Tampa, they'd be expelled. And so Barry McKean, who's the administrator, who's been giving interviews to friendly places and not giving interviews to not friendly places, he gave an interview to Fox News. He wouldn't give one to NBC. He said, look, I chose not to talk to that reporter because, well, usually based on the call sign on the channel, you can tell what they're trying to say and what they're going to try to prove. And I think it was clear from the get-go, this person is not for us, but against us. And I thought, well, who else needs to hear the gospel but somebody who's that way? And then... Uh, the senior pastor said of the school's policy, um, our policy against transgender uh, students and homosexual students is rooted in scripture. And I thought, well, yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's scriptural support for that. But at the same time, there's scriptural support for that. There's also scriptural support for this. 
Remember the calling of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9? When Jesus found Levi, Matthew, uh, sitting in the tax collector's booth, he said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Later that day, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Guess who came over? Well, Matthew was a tax collector. He had friends who were tax collectors. The New International Version says sinners. Um, other translations say prostitutes. We're talking about tax collectors, prostitutes, and Jesus all having dinner. The Pharisees, verse 11, saw this, and they asked his Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Upon hearing this, Jesus, who was not afraid of the call letters of the Pharisees' radio and television station, and knew that the Pharisees were not for him, still engaged them in conversation. And Jesus replied, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. I was having a conversation with Pastor Alan Jackson out of uh, Nashville, where he's going to be on the program with us next week. And we were discussing his new book, which is a great book. It's all about uh, what's happening in the world and and why we know things are going to get worse. But there's a plan, a plan in place for us to flourish as Christians. And I shared with him my uh, my expression. I said, hey, look, the church has to get over the fact that in America, being a Christian you meant and has been for many, many years that it's a home game. God bless America. God, America, and apple pie. I mean, just uh, it's Pledge of Allegiance and the, the red, white, and blue, and that's who we are as a nation. But God called us to the holy nation, the eternal kingdom, first. He's chosen us here in the U.S. to live and occupy this territory. But through, we have brothers and sisters in Iran right now who are being persecuted for their faith, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, in Ukraine and Russia. I mean, if we limit it just to what flag we sit under, then we're in big trouble because that means we're sitting under the wrong flag. The flag we are under, the banner that we are under is the one who waves the banner over us, and that's the Lord our God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us who we are, not the red, white, and blue, or the green and gold, or the whatever heck country colors you have. And the good news is for everyone, and for a Christian school to say, we have a policy against this type of behavior that's rooted in Scripture, isn't looking at all of the Scripture in the full council. So what do you do? You teach both. You teach the Scripture that says, homosexuality is a sin. Sex outside of marriage is sin. Transgenderism is a sin. But then you also teach the scripture that says it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin. If you can believe that, then you know what mercy is all about. You know what kindness is all about. And you understand grace too. And that's the bottom line.